Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with 371 trifix, and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. I'm starting my episodes this month with some exciting news. I have now launched my new website, KarenAnceMD.com, as well as a variety of social media channels on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, all under KarenAnceMD. And I would love for you to start following me on these channels because my hope is that I can start putting out some content that is going to help all of us on our journey. And the theme for this month is the white essence, which is about essential will. And I'm teaching a free class on Wednesdays from six to seven that is going to help all of us to change our habits. So whatever habit you have, I'm working on my nervous system reactivity and my tendency to interrupt. Um, You can also join me on your journey. Do you have a habit around eating food, smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol, watching too much television, being on social media, whatever it is, we can come together and use mindfulness and presence and some scientifically proven ways to build new neural pathways in the brain. So I hope that you'll join me. You can visit my website, karenansmd.com, to register for free to come to the classes on Zoom. The second offering that I have this month is on conscious communication and resonant healing. So all of us here in the Enneagram community know that our Enneagram type has given us some core wounds. So I hope that you'll join me so that I can share with you some of the strategies that I've been using to overcome my structure and where I identify. And if we can all embark on this journey together, I think it could be really exciting. So I hope I see you in class. Welcome to The Blind Spot. I'm really excited to have finally met Fleming Christensen today. I have been following his work for the last year, and he has recently published the book, The Enneagram and Why Your Blind Type Matters. And he has been running an organization called Think About It, where he has been working with the Enneagram for over 20 years now and has been working in corporate organizations where he helps leaders on a personal growth journey so that their teams can be more effective. And he also trains Enneagram teachers and leaders around the world. And it's just so exciting and inspiring to have you here. So welcome. How are you this morning? I'm very well. This afternoon, actually, here in Copenhagen, we have the first day of sunshine and all the spring flowers and it's out and I'm just having a good time. And I'm really looking forward to this interview. Thank you. Mm, Thank you. Yes, I'm here in Chicago and we're also enjoying spring, although I think we're a little concerned about global warming out here. We've been having an unusually like some 80 something degree days. So, um, yeah, but hey, we'll just enjoy it until the world implodes, right? Yeah. That's the seven way of looking at it, right? Yeah, I get it. (laughs) We can can talk about that in a moment when we're looking at the blind type. (laughs) Exactly, right? (laughs) So, 
Fleming, I um, have been following your work and really love this idea about the blind type because you may have noticed that my podcast is called The Blind Spot. And the reason that I was brought into the inspiration to start the podcast was because as I've been learning the Enneagram specifically about the instinctual drives and about the blind spot with the instinctual drives, it became apparent to me that I was self-pressed, social, sexual, blind. And I recognized that before I was even conscious of it, I've been doing sexual blind spot work, not in a particularly conscious way. The consciousness is the new piece. And that there's all these blind spots also in that middle instinct. And then, of course, we're just neurotic in that dominant one. So this whole idea of looking into the shadow and at the things that we tend to reject or repress. And the other thing that drew me in was that everything I was learning and also some typing by people who I respect in the instinctual drive community was leading to that I am self-preservation dominant. And yet when I was hearing the self-preservation instinct described, I just wasn't connecting with so many of the descriptions that came to that. And I happen also to be a Myers-Briggs profiler And I know that you were familiar with that way back when and were not as excited about it because it wasn't being used for personal growth. But when I came in touch with Personality Hacker, who is Antonia Dodge and Joel Markwit, they are using Myers-Briggs for personal growth. And when I took a deep dive into cognitive function stacks and really understood these different archetypes and how these different cognitive processing styles also live in the shadow. Suddenly, I just had clarity. It all made sense. And so I've been integrating instinctual drives, Enneagram type, and cognitive processing style. But I love what you're doing with the blind type because it's another way of looking at how we can do personal growth that I think really supports people. So would you speak a little bit more about that for our audience that isn't familiar with your work yet? Yeah, I would like that. We can actually start with the with the blind spot because every type has their blind spot. And of course, that would be angles or perspectives about my own behavior, thinking and feeling that for one reason or another, I don't connect to, realize, accept. And then we have some particular interesting blind spots, and that would be the leadership blind spot. Her type, because uh, leadership, what happens with leadership is that you actually lose your empathy 40 times faster than people without leadership and power. So that kind of fires off some of the patterns in your blindness, if we can talk about that. And I also talk about relationship blind spots, and that is uh, that is in my earlier book about the relationships in in the Enneagram, that there's actually something that I cannot see about myself in the relationship. So blind spots is, is normally related to your type, your profile, your personality. But the blind type is part of the Enneagram that is blind to you. It's, it's also, we can talk about shadows, but for one reason or another, part of the Enneagram, and that could, if the test is designed for that, 
or the one that you score the lowest at, that would be kind of a, I, I don't really reconnect with that one. And uh, normally when we look into the Enneagram and we take a test, we're looking for the highest one because I want to find my type. And then everything is, is all about my type, but then I forget everything else. But exactly the type that uh, we cannot relate to is actually hmm, subtracting or uh, dampening, taking out the power of your primary type. So understand your blindness to one of the types will give you an opportunity to actually make a breakthrough in the levels uh, from from Don and Ross, the levels of development that you can actually move from from the f- level four and break through to three, two, one, uh, understanding your blind type. So seven is your blind type. I heard you say in another interview. Is that correct? <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. <laughs> and why did that make you laugh when I said that? Do you not, not like being here exposed? Because <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Do you have any other points you identify as blind or is it pretty much a solid uh, seven? There might be. There might be other points, but... Um, the one and the eight is is and the five is high for me, and the seven is partic- particular low. Mm-hmm. So it it is, um, and when it's when it's particular low, I'm talking about our three levels of blindness that is related to uh, trauma. So you can have a light or normal or strong trauma. And uh, and and for me, it's it's in the stronger side of the seven. Mm. So it's something that has followed me since I was a kid. And when I when I discovered it, I said, "Ah, that makes sense." I, now I understand why I made those decisions that I did. And if we combine the blind type with the primary type, the enneagram life theme emerges mm. and it's a theme and, and you can actually call it an archetype or a conviction or an assumption that that colors your mm, a role archetype or part of your personality that is uh, has been yeah coloring all your um, professional and private relationships so there is something there is an inner dynamic within the Enneagram that I think Oscar Chasso or Ngojev were aware of. It was lost a little bit in the translation into uh, Claudio. Um, that kind of went a little more psychological and personality types and, and all that. But the, the inner dynamic, the inner structure will actually uh, reveal new psychological dynamics when we and I've worked with the blind type. So what psychological dynamics did you discover? Paint a picture for us so that we can um, understand it better. Yeah. Being blind on, on seven means that I have triggers when things are getting too light. Mm, like global warming jokes? Are kind of in that area. <laughs> 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 And um, it's it's something like um, we all make make uh, assumptions or s- narratives about uh, our blind type. 
So I remember going to the Nordic Enneagram Conference in Stockholm. And of course, we have the party. At every conference, we have the party. And uh, I don't go to parties. I don't either, but that's because I go to bed by 10. I'll party. Actually, I have a cup that says born to be wild until 9 p.m. So that's the okay. kind of parties I like. See? <laughs> and uh, but, but next morning, I was doing my uh, presentation at the conference, um, and uh, people were asking me, hey, we didn't see you at the party. And because I was talking about my blindness of seven, I said, no, for me, parties is just dancing monkeys. Yeah, and I cannot see myself being a dancing monkey. So, so you make you make stories up about your your blind type uh, that are not gentle or not super nice, uh, and and there there is a little harshness, a little aversion, negativity because you're triggered by it. So this type three is a pretty serious type three. Yeah. And I am also self-press, and I think that we need to be able to be present in this moment and actually get um, get the life quality and the vitality and the purposefulness out of this moment. And the type 7 distracts me from that. That's my story. Yeah, makes uh, sense. So uh, this actually gives one profile for uh, this type three. If I was blind on, I don't know, eight, it would have been difficult for me to stand in my power, manifest me, or set healthy or boundaries, and kind of feel the, the greatness of this soul, this spirit, um, that would be another uh, version of a, a three. If I was blind on five, um, I would not like to go deep in the material. I wouldn't like to study. I wouldn't like to um, to, to to specialize. Then suddenly that would be another type three. So we will have uh, eight versions of each type when we actually understand the, the inner dynamic between between blind and primary. And that gives a very, very personal life theme. So it could be for me that the life theme would be um, the coach, that I have to coach everybody, that I have to take all the brilliant ideas I have and, uh, and give to others, maybe not even coach, maybe a mentor. I, I could see myself that. But that's not what it is for me. It's uh, the big brother. Mm -hmm. So I'm solving everybody's problems that there would be my, my family and very dear friends and um, my employees. If, if people are close to me, I'll fix that problem. I solve that problem. And there's always a light side and a dark side to, uh, to an archetype, as you know. Or, and the light side is, hey, it's cool to be helping. Of course, the dark side is, then I don't need to help me. Mm. And I don't have to look at my trouble. Or I can neglect that a little bit because I can kind of be more aware about what's going on out there in the world. So we all have a very particular version 
of a life theme. So in my book, I didn't list all the possible life themes for the types because then people get kind of locked in that got identified and maybe even attached with what's in the book. So the process of finding your life theme and finding your blind type, it's a very subconscious, um, close to shadow work. Yeah. Now these archetypes, did you write about a group of them in your book? And do you believe there's a finite number or will we all discover our own unique archetype and that's a part of the journey? I think we all discover a, a unique, it's almost an archetypical n- narrative. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like I can explain and argue for you why I did that and why this happened and why I had to do this and why I was avoiding this, of course. It's more a narrative that it's an archetype, but I like when I do my training to start with the the uh, the archetype and from there the interview or something that looks a little bit like family constellations will kind of open up to ah i had to do this this is this is my design yeah okay really <laughs> or or is it just kind of an idea or a conception that i have created mm. speaking of design i'm just curious have you ever had your chart read fleming your astrological chart uh, no yeah i'd be super curious just to see if it resonated, just because as I'm circling this part of the world, which I definitely rejected for a long time as a scientist, my science brain was really leading the show for a very long time. And I'm a three with a two wing, which is probably why I ended up in a helping profession. And as I'm now entering this phase of my life, that four is coming online and all of this mystical and other things that I probably would have rejected in my first half of life. I'm now finding really, really interesting. What do you think about that? How's your four wing? And are you a three with a four wing or a three with a two yep. wing? Three four with wing? a four. Yeah. And for me, if if it touches something profound in me, I will go look for it. Mm, yeah. And if it uh, touches me like a. Uh, my platonic plates will be disturbed a little bit. Then, then I would, um, then I would uh, investigate. Yeah, because it's it's like there are so many things out there that we could look into, and very often it just make people more identified mm-hmm. with a structure. Yeah, and the whole enneagram is. The opposite. It's it's trying to um, let go of attachment and your your identification. And the, the, there are a lot of models and structures and processes in the in the field of the enneagram that if you don't pay attention, it will just make you more identified and say, "Oh, now I'm this type, and now I'm this kind of characteristic." So, yeah. How does it help you? Yeah. If it doesn't help you, then it's just more post-it notes that you can kind of put on yourself. See, now I can see this about myself. Fine. So 
Yeah, I've come to see it as like a phase of growth and development on the journey Mm. if you're using the Mm. Enneagram or some kind of typology. I think that when those of us that feel drawn to it, when we discover it, there's this, wow, I'm being seen and understood for the first time in my life. And how can these very complicated patterns exist that explain my internal experience? And there's just something mind-blowing about that because I think there's something about the narcissism of our personality that believes that I am me and nobody else is like this and my problems are unique and nobody gets it kind of thing. And then I think when we discover things like the Enneagram, things like Myers-Briggs, we discover instinctual type that we're suddenly like, oh no, like here is this set of descriptions that is actually describing my reality and we jump into it But I think for many of us, we'll find inconsistencies. And I think that that's where the personality can get hung up on defining and saying, oh, well, the way this person's doing it is wrong. And it's clearly this. And it takes one to know one. I definitely have watched this in my own development. And that's what spurred this podcast. Because as a self-preservation dominant three, I was seeing so many people describe the self-preservation instinct. And I'm like, no. Like they have it wrong. That's not the self-preservation instinct because I have blindness in one, even though I actually also have a lot of one, my one doesn't manifest as the typical point one structure. You know, like I had to get a pen because of course I never have what I need. I'm not much of a planner. I struggle with external organization and things like this. But yet when it comes to the realm of ideas, I'm incredibly one-ish. I can get so worked up about wanting it to be right that I'll start a podcast in something that I've never done before and have no skill at, but it just really fuels me up. So I think that as I've been talking to people, and the biggest gift of this project has been speaking with people across the field with so many different perspectives, what I'm hearing is that those of us that really, really care deeply about the work To me, it's like a law of three thing where like the affirming force is type matters. You have to know your type and your stack and you've got to get it right. And we've got to describe it exactly. And we can't do any real work until we've nailed that down. And then there's the other, the denying force, I would say, which is all these typology people are putting themselves in boxes and they're not doing the real work and you're identifying with your egoic structure and don't do that. And then I think there's this third force that comes in that can actually hold both and say, Mm. there is something about typology. There is something about these structures. And if we get to one-ish about it, I'll just use that characteristic. I think that we start to lose what it was actually created for, which was a map, not the territory, as something that is here to guide, but not... Whenever we feel like there's that, it's a fixation for me. I mean, there's, I can feel the contraction. I can feel the tightness whenever anybody is talking about type or stack or any of these things in a way that doesn't resonate with me. And I'm wanting to have them see that they are wrong. As soon as I'm in that space, I know that I'm more in the fixated place. How does all that land with you? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, what you're talking about reminds me about my studies. I'm in the middle of my 
master's in Buddhist studies at um, South Wales University. And I didn't really know about the noble path and the lay path, that everything that I have been studied has kind of been the lay path, kind of, I, I get it, I understand it, I practice this, and I've been doing that for, for 20 years being a Zen Buddhist. But I'm kind of... Um, getting a sense of what it means to be on the noble path because that will reveal itself after you've done your work on the lay path. But you cannot explain what it is if you haven't been there. And I think that's the same with, with the Enneagram. We need to be on the lay path for a long time talking about types and I'm this type and my cat and my dog is that type and I cannot stand my ex because she's that type and la, 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 la. So everything has to be typed. Right. The brain has to kind of get the, get the categories right. And some people kind of hang on to that and uh, that's, uh, that's their uh, uh, thing and others kind of move on to, hmm, What's what's behind type? If we took type away, what's left? Even if we go back to the original uh, teachers like Gurdjieff and Oscar, Ichaso, they didn't talk about type. They talked about points. Mm. They don't even have something to say about the lines between the, the types or all the points or the levels. They didn't understand that the levels were there, but they were talking about a more integral, complete system that all those nine qualities are part of you. Yeah. So why not find a way to mature all parts? And if you could do that, then something new will happen. Maybe it's the growing up before the waking up. I don't know. But but there is in the Enneagram uh, I see it as if you put the Enneagram on flat on the table, you could actually draw a spiral, an upgoing spiral in, in the Enneagram. And because you learn more and more and more and more, you see more and more perspectives about it. And at one point, the system will take you off to another perspective. Uh, when I teach this, I try, I, I, I explain to people, I'm, I make a little statement saying, hey, do we agree that it do not take courage to follow your heart? And a lot of people will say, no, we cannot agree to that. <laughs> it mm. takes courage to follow your heart. But at the higher levels, you do follow your heart and you're fueled by courage. So the mindset shifts when we kind of move up the levels with the, with the Enneagram. And I think what we are talking about here is that maybe the blind type can be an opener mm. to uh, the higher levels in the Enneagram. I love that. Can you give us an example of when you noticed you had a big perspective shift that you were just talking about that... Kind of yeah. opened that for you? Yeah, I was 52. Uh-huh. <laughs> Probably a couple of months and days too, but I was struggling with um, who I am or what it is I've been doing. It, it, it felt like I've been 
wasting 52 years of studying all kinds of things and traveling around the world, trying to understand meaning and purpose. That's my thing. I, I know that there is a structure we can lean in when we are looking for, for meaning and purpose. And Buddhism has been part of, part of that structure. The Enneagram has been part of this structure. Uh, the integral path has been part of this uh, structure. And adult learning in general has been part of um, philosophical, conversational slash third-generation coaching. Uh, I've been looking into a lot of things. And I realized, hey, it's not wasted. It was a preparation for something. It was it was yeah. cooking something that was kind of uh, getting its its shape and form ready. And I've been self-employed or age twenty-three. So so this is the only thing I know. I I, I just know how to do my own life and solve my own problems and and fix things. And being a consultant, I remember when I was a very young man, maybe 24, I grew a beard because I wanted to look professional. So, you know, I've, 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 <laughs> I've, I've made things because being professional, being a consultant, that that had kind of, that, that role meant something special, I, I thought. So I have been the, the consultant, the specialist, the entrepreneur, and um, I was kind of stuck in that role. And then I became a teacher of the Enneagram, but still the consultant, the teacher is the one that knows it all. And mm. uh, I wanted to be a co-student. And suddenly being a co-student mm -hmm. with the people that I meet made a tremendous shift. And that was part of this understanding, mm. hey, it's not wasted. It's just been preparation. And if I am if I'm teaching as a co-student, if I'm teaching as the one that doesn't know it all, but I'm still open and curious, then something will happen. And this is actually where this book comes from because during the COVID-19 lockdown, I did uh, online programs, not talking about types, but only talking about points. And I realized that some people couldn't relate to a point and even thought they were kind of frustrating to be around, blindness. <laughs> and then suddenly, hey, <laughs> let's, let's become learners together. Let's be co-students together. Let's explore what this is all about. And then suddenly the theory came in place. And I didn't, I don't think that I've, if I have not had this kind of shift in perspective that I would be teaching like, like I'm teaching and this book would probably not have been here. Mm, I love that. Yeah. One of the things that I've heard you speak about is once we identify the blind type, that it's really important to be oh, yeah. kind to the blind type and to hold it with warmth there because is. there's a wound there. And how do we heal that? Because that seems to be the path towards truly integrating. Yeah. Would you speak about that for a moment? So I do now training in, in blind type, and it's a three-day program. The first day we talk about 
your primary type, what does it actually mean to relate to a type? Because a lot of people think that if we have the behavior of a type, then we can relate to a type. But that is not true. We need to have the drivers and triggers and the assumptions of a type. We need to have this motive. And maybe we use all the other types as strategies to kind of fulfill this motive. So I need to sharpen the way that we are observing ourselves neutrally so we can find our type. Because we need those strategies to find the blind type. And then the second day is about finding the blind type. And we're actually looking for something that we cannot see. So we cannot use the same, the mm. same way of finding your prime, primary type as finding your, your blind type because it has to be revealed. And I'm using our, what, what I call third-generation coaching. That is a conversation tool developed in ancient Greek um, where the uh, emperor was often asking questions to the philosophers, uh, but they would need to find a way to reply without getting killed. So, or you you can call it the the emperor's mirror. That that's the metaphor for this conversation style. That we're actually using language, and and we we co-create. So it's not me telling you about your blindness. No, it's us suddenly revealing. Wow, what what could that mean? What is that maybe about? And that is that is a way to explore in a very very gentle way what it is that we cannot see. And mm. I will have to teach people in the class not to go too hard or too far or too humorous because this, is, this can be a very, very sensitive topic that we are moving into. And most people in, in my classes are not trained as therapists or psychiatrists or psychologists. Or, so we will move into the territory until the person gets built a strong enough longing to proceed. Yes. Uh, you're bringing me to what I have found as a physician when I'm working with patients. And I'm a primary care doctor and do obesity medicine and really try to support people as they change cravings and addictions and very unhealthy habits. And as a self-pressed dominance, it's also often interesting. So many of the people I work with are self-pressed blind, and this is why they're in the doctor's office. And so to be able to work with these people has really required me to develop this very delicate way of inquiry. I also have a background. I did uh, insight meditation for five or six years before I even found the Enneagram and it was super helpful for just sitting and stop talking because when three and seven are your two dominant energies, there's a lot of benefit to being still and quiet. So watching what I call the snow globe, just kind of settle down and then having that more clear mind place is where I try to meet my patients with what is this about for them and what is a question that I can ask that will turn their attention to a place that they haven't been willing to look. And so often 
especially as a weight management physician, anybody who has struggled with weight loss knows that the yo-yo diet or the lose it, gain it back, lose it, gain it back phenomenon is a very real thing. And this creates deep shame for people because they know how to do it. And yet they're often using willpower. And we know that willpower eventually makes us tired and we quit. And so when you were talking about meaning and purpose, I'm really vibing with you because I do believe that this is our essence quality as threes. And so for me, I've really had to help my patients figure out what does this lifestyle change mean to you and why would you do it? Because if you can't connect with something that lands very deep in the body and in the heart, you're not going to see any lasting behavior change. You might have a moment of enlightenment or insight, and then the personality takes over and you're back to the races again. So I was just noticing that while we're such different self-preservation threes, I was marveling as I was listening to you. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's the core. And the other thing that was making me giggle a little bit is that, you know, we started this engagement with you asking for an agenda and me saying that I'm a little blind in one and six and that I don't use agendas. And, you know, as I've looked at that, you know, my mother is a one with a two wing and a lot of six. So, you know, as I've been doing my work, it's been so easy for me to say, A, I didn't need to develop those characteristics because before I would even have an opportunity to plan or prepare for something, she has seven or eight contingency plans all lined up and is telling me about all of them in her binder that is color coded with every contingency plan. And the other reason is that, as you could imagine, as a three, very attentive to my nurturing figure, this has been wonderful and really Mm. annoying for my entire life. And so as a three with a two wing, and she's a one with a two wing, we both have fun, you know, executing that rejection structure that's in the wing. And yet she just loves being frustrated with me. And I love being attached to the disconnect that we have. Mm -hmm. So it's like a really fun dance that I've gotten to watch my whole life. And yet people have often thought I was a one or a six, which makes me laugh because anybody who knows me knows that I'm not a one or a six. And actually, it's interesting. I love what you were talking about, how that the behavior can actually be deceptive. And that's not how we can actually find our way to type. Because um, I've actually, as I've been doing my research and my investigation around how is this Enneagram community doing things? And how can I reconcile the differences that I see amongst teachers that I so respect and admire And yet, from my seat, I mean, we all have blind spots. Even the greatest teachers have blind spots. And so I have not had 100% agreement in my typing, although I'd say we're up to about 85% agreeing on three at this point. But, you know, some people think I'm a six because there is a lot of thinking that goes on. And when you combine that seven energy with the three, there's just that very thinking, thinking, talking, talking, frenetic, frenetic thing that can look six-ish. And yet I've also been identified as a one because as a self-pressed three, my work ethic is really intense. And when I care about something like this podcast, for example, you noticed I had Kevin there, like making sure the sound was good and that the production quality is good. 
those are the things that I will show the outside world because as a three, mm-hmm. I don't want mm-hmm. you to know what it's really like back mm-hmm. here. You know, we're not going to look at my desk or anything. So, you know, it's really easy to see how so much of my mother's one and six energy is imprinted on me. And that's what I show the outside world. But if you actually get in here, you're like, yeah, there's not a lot of one or six happening inside this woman <laughs> in a way that yeah. is not blind. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I think when we, when we work with all this, we are looking for the assumptions. So what, what are the assumptions about our structure? What are the assumptions about order and rules and regulations? And we all need structures and rules you know we need to know what side of the of the road we are driving so so the whole society will, will will need some rules but do i use do i assume that following rules will do good or doing a lot of productivity and do things fast and we can read the manual after but let, let's get going will do good so it's all those assumptions that that drives us. And the primary type is full of assumptions. And the blind type is full of assumptions that prevent the primary type's assumptions. Give me an example of that. So how would you either use an example from yourself or from me, from what we were just talking about, where either your Dominant three, blind and seven, or my dominant and three and somewhat blind and okay. one and six. Three like blind how, and how one, would that look three as an blind and six. We can we can take them both. So blind and one Let's would be rules is taking life out of everything. Rules and structures will kill creativity. So that's why the type three in me will be more exploratory, start up things, see how they goes, because I don't want to be attached to rules. Ooh, Sounds ooh, seven-ish. It, it could be, but it could be the blind one. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and it is. Then, yeah, no, I agree with uh, you. What I would miss is probably discipline and sincerity. And for type three, Having some discipline and being sincere about my activities and my communication and why why do we actually sit here really, really and have this conversation like really, really? That would be sincerity that the type three could or could get out of the blindness of type one. Mm, I love that. That that mm. feels really sweet and lands. Thank and the you. six, if we're six. blind on six foresee trouble, plan, and be practical that whatever we do is a craft. I, I think that's a waste of time. That is, that is overrated. That is um, oh, when people do that sixth thing, they kill all the good ideas and uh, everything has to be um, one big problem. So for a type three... Mm. That would be sending me off on an even more unrealistic path, being super time optimistic and a very, very 
unreal about my real purpose. Mm. When you say unreal about my real purpose, um, say more about that. I will be more driven by the success pattern of the culture that I live in. Yeah. So you're leading me right into this other piece that I love, which is mm. Myers-Briggs and cognitive functioning. So as a dominant that leads with extroverted intuition, this is sometimes nicknamed the excited brainstormer. So that is my very favorite thing to do. I'm very good at pattern recognition and kind of thinking outside the box and trying something new. So it completely makes sense to me why specifically the point one energy. Yeah, I don't really enjoy rules because I think that it blocks progress sometimes. I love rules and operations. Like for me, being a supply chain manager would be the quickest way to kill me. You know, if I had to manage all the details around making sure that something is delivered from start to finish, because what I would rather do is say, oh yeah, all these processes are here. They're all happening. Other people are running them and more in that consultant role where I can see patterns yeah. where something's not working and be like, how about we do it differently? And so that totally resonates with why I think that I have, I was born that way. I mean, do you believe we're born with our Enneagram type? I'm coming mm, to believe we are. I have a long explanation on that. So, so I'd like to hear what you're saying. Okay. So I think that, well, I think we're born with instinctual drive stacking. I think we're born with Enneagram type. I think we're born with our cognitive preferences. So I think that then we all have a different context. We all have different parents. We all end up forming different object relations. So this is going to express itself in a certain way. And my experience of holy harmony, as I'm starting to get out of my way and believe that I control everything and will determine what's going to happen here, is that there is something in the universe that pulled together this very unique combination that I call me or that we call Fleming and that now spirit or essence is operating through us and we're manifesting something in the world that we can either get into alignment with or we can keep rejecting or being frustrated with or fighting and create lots of suffering for ourselves. So I, as I look at my path, which as an ENTP, I've lived in an SJ world. It's funny, like my mother and my father are SJs and my four children are SJs. And I'm this one NP that's basically here to mess up the system and to make everybody nervous. But I, there's, I push these edges. I ask these questions. I go these places that other people are much mm. wiser mm. than to go. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, something blows up and yeah, I'm like, hmm, wish I had a little more six or one in my structure there. And sometimes there's like a moment of, wow, you know, that is a great idea. Yeah. That is working brilliantly. And so I think that I find that I have great respect for the people who have the polarity in their structure because I know how important it is. And I know that I will have blind spots there and that I will find every self-deceit way in the book as a three to avoid that which yeah. is actually important at times. So if I can surround myself with trusted people that I love and they love me and that I 
I trust. And I know when there's that piece of me that's like, okay, listen to this message. But also there are times when they have to let me go because I'm going to actually know that this is an edge that we should push. So this is where discernment comes in. And when I think of Buddhism and I think of this wisdom that all of us are cultivating that are on the path, it's really about knowing what are my strengths, what are my liabilities, and then how present can we stay to those? And how do we create? There's that Buddha nature, which has woken up the ability to watch and care and to be motivated to work with this. There's the Dharma, which are the teachings that any of us are, whether it's Enneagram or, you know, Jungian psychology or the Buddha or Jesus or whatever it is that you're learning. And then there's the Sangha. And I love this Sangha because if we're really willing to drop the self-deceit, if we're really willing to take feedback and integrate it, and not in a way where I'm rejecting who and what I am because my gift Mm. is somehow wrong, but rather just acknowledging that there's always two sides to every coin. And we know that with every gift will also come a potential liability. And that's what I love about the blind type, because I really do believe in the individuation of the, of the human and this ability to integrate and transcend. And you've talked about how important this is for moving from level four to three in our development. And then if we ever want to get up to one, and one of the images that I've been carrying with me that a friend offered is that we are all this very unique jigsaw puzzle. So if we're looking at ourselves, we can see how all of our pieces are fitting together and now we have this image. But if you flip the puzzle over, there can be a completely different image on this other side and yet the pieces are all still fitting together. And so that ability to have a puzzle that is not just that one dimension lying flat on a table and I only see what's there, but can I do something that you're talking about with the Enneagram and the spiral and just really embracing the dynamism and recognizing that we are not this flat puzzle. We are not a certain type, but there are so many energetic forces that almost like the Heisenberg principle, as soon as we're observing it, it's now changing. And so we are not the same thing at any moment in time. So I think that's why when I heard about your book, and I started to see the perspective that you were taking, I was like, I got to talk Very to this good. Guy. It's really, really It, it, it reminds me of the three things that I that is kind of the foundation for my teaching, and that is awareness, presence, and relationships. And I think awareness, mm. when we are aware, then we can actually receive feedback. We can learn. If we're not aware, Yes. <laughs> no, no learning. We will be on a plateau for a very long time. Presence, when we really understand that it's only presence that can explain you what presence is. You have to go there and do it. We cannot talk about it. (laughs) You can even go meditate and that's a part of presence. But a lot of people like the peace and the calm of presence in the meditation. But they also have to understand that sometimes we are standing in a doorway of, of, of meditation and we want to kind of go to 
meditation again because it was nice. But it's a, it's it's an opening. You have to go out of that niceness in your meditation into new territory. So presence is is a portal. It's a, it's a gate. It's a it's a door. And, and a lot of us have been hanging in the doorway for a very long time because well we we like this understanding ourselves and exploring our own types and everything. Yeah, but we have to. It, it's an opening and relationship is of course a relationship with others like you and I we have a relationship here and the better and the higher quality that is the better it will be for people listening to us but before we can even do something reasonable we need to have a good relationship with ourselves so those three things awareness presence and relationship i think that actually talks into what you just said with also the buddha the dharma and the sangha yeah i love that yeah, there's such deep intimacy there. And I love Esther Perel has broken down the word intimacy to say into me see. And I love that because I can look into myself and can I really see myself? And as I start to gain some level of presence and awareness about what's happening in here, now I can start looking out there and start having a slightly clearer picture Excellent. and this ability to support others on the same path that we've been totally walking ourselves. I agree. Well, Fleming, this was wonderful. I really enjoyed getting to dive into some of the nuances of your work. I am it's on my dresser waiting to be read with all these amazing Enneagram books that have come out this year. So I encourage everybody to check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes. And I hope that we that get to have another nice. conversation. That would be nice. Really Thank you it. for reaching out. And if further is time for one more last comment. Oh, I have all the time. Like then, I said, I could do this all day. I was trying. I know that you've got a little more of I that do. boundary I there, do. Fleming. I wanted to Thank respect you. our time. <laughs> so you go. We can make we three episodes that one day. out of this. <laughs> so my reflections uh, always are at a moment like this that I don't think that you and I are sitting here doing this for us. I don't think we do the work for us. I don't think we write mm. books or create podcasts or do training. And at one point I came up with, um, with the idea of that I'm here for the next, next generation. So I actually think that we're doing this yeah. for our children. And if, if we could mature and stay aware and stay present, have good relationship, that would kind of be mirrored or modeled by our kids and, and the next generation. And what if this could be transmitted to the next next generation? Then that would be a good reason to do high qualities in our books and podcasts and our teaching. So I think we're here for the next next generation. So thank you for inviting me to this. Mm. Thank you, Fleming. If you're enjoying these episodes, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at social at karenansmd.com. I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice, including typology, 
Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Please visit my website at karenancemd.com to schedule a free 30-minute consultation if you'd like to work with me in any way. We also have the opportunity for free classes.